It's Wednesday, April 23rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Mark Reith, and joining me in studio from Supernova, Maddie Argersinger, and from Rule Breakers, making his first ever Market Foolery appearance, Simon Erickson. Gentlemen, how's it going? Rah, rah, rah. Simon, welcome yeah. to the show. Mark, thank you for having me. Ah, It's a pleasure to be here with you, Simon. Earnings season has begun in earnest, so we've got plenty to get to today, including Intuitive Surgical's Rough Quarter and Yum Brand's Deceptive Quarter. But we begin with a newly announced deal between HBO and Amazon. Earlier today, Amazon announced a content licensing agreement with HBO, which will make Amazon the only place to find HBO content online. Wait wait a minute. But what about HBO Go? That's how I watch my Game of Thrones. Guys, what's this mean for HBO, first and foremost? Well, for HBO, I mean, this is just a a way for them to reach... You know the millions of subscribers that don't have a cable uh, subscription and don't get HBO. I mean, I think it's it's a big deal. I I think this is you know a huge deal for Amazon, right? Which I know you're going to ask me about <laughs> um, because I just think this is coinciding with obviously the the Fire TV that they've come out mm-hmm. with. I mean that this is a huge new add-on to that. It's a huge new add-on to Amazon Prime. Um, this is this was always. HBO is always the elephant in the room when it comes to content. You know, we've seen content deals be struck all over the place. Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime. HBO was always the one that's out there that, you know, this is this is the you know, this is where the really some of the best content in the world is, is developed and created and, and produced. It's not just TV. It, right. It's HBO. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that Amazon was able to get this. I love, you know, we don't have financial terms around the deal. We don't know even how long it is. We know that Amazon's immediately starting in May going to get a bunch of old shows, mm-hmm. um, Sopranos for example, Deadwood, uh, Boardwalk Empire and episodes that have been around for at least 3 years in most cases. Uh, but they're going to get the, eventually other content as well. So this just sets Amazon Prime up to be now a huge value proposition um, if you're you know if a customer. Especially now, we had a lot of people complain about the two, you know the twenty percent price increase that Amazon put in right. a m- month ago. Wow! Now I get HBO in addition to everything else I get with Prime. Seems like a very good deal. Um, this is this is big news in the media and content uh, market. Okay, it's enough for you to the HBO is enough for you to buy Amazon Prime. Is it enough for you to buy the Fire TV though? You know, I'm starting to I'm starting to lean that way, Mark. Because okay. here's the thing: it's it's you know we've people have hesitated in cutting their cable subscription for a lot of reasons. Right. Sports is obviously one of those reasons, but HBO is as well. The only, previous to this, if you didn't have a cable subscription, you couldn't get HBO. You couldn't get HBO Go. Um, so now it's like, hey, if I'm if I'm if I cut the cord of my cable company and I just have internet, hmm. I can sign up for Amazon for you know nine bucks a month. I can sign up for Netflix for eight bucks bucks a month going up. Um, for twenty for less than twenty dollars a month, I'm getting access to a pretty f- phenomenal library of content, right? And it's not costing me that much. It's certainly not costing me as much as a cable subscription. So, the value proposition for cutting your cord just got a lot better. Um, there's still the sports angle out there, but I'd say as a cable company, hmm. Comcast, I'd be a little worried right now. Are you guys still cable com- customers? I'm not personally. I have HBO Go, Hulu, and Netflix, and that's enough for me. What about you, Simon? I think it starts to look more like an internet connection over time. Mm. You know, there's less of a value proposition on the cable side of things, but broadband and internet is getting more and more important every year. So right, and you know, I, I I'm still a cable subscriber, and yeah. I, I do it really because you know there's 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 baseball games I want to watch, there's NFL games I want to watch, there's soccer games I want to watch that I can only still get with cable. That's changing a little bit as well. Um, but I, I'd say it's 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 beginning a little. This is a big. This is going to be a big, big topic for the next few years. Is what how people get their entertainment, and increasingly, especially the younger crowd like you and Mark and Simon that I'm sitting next to. You know, 
cutting the cords a much easier decision, um, and it, it should be. It's, it's a way. much tougher decision for old man Argerson. Yeah, right I know. I'm, I'm old. <laughs> by ways. the way, Matt, I'm flattered by being called the younger crowd. Thank you. Um, <laughs> some interesting statistics we got from eMarketer Mark mm-hmm. uh, just this year. The average American household in 2014, the average American adult in the U.S., will watch four and a half hours of television every day. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, they're going to be watching five and a half hours a day of either being online or on a mobile screen, mm-hmm. not talking on the phone, but on, on digital media like that. That's 10 hours a day that we're in front of a screen of some sorts during this year. I think Amazon's smart to take advantage of that. There's a lot of opportunity to do business in those 10 hours a day. I think it's a great move for that company. Okay, fair enough. All right, let's turn towards earnings now and kick things off with Intuitive Surgical, which just had a brutal quarter. Uh, My favorite stat was the 24% decline in revenue. Guys, what were some of the highlights for you, and where did all this pain come from? Well, so Intuitive Surgicals, it's it's had a really interesting ride over the last couple of months. I mean, if you go back just back in February um, or maybe early March, I mean, this stock was on fire mm-hmm. because they had just come out. They, FDA, they got FDA clearance to start selling their new Da Vinci surgical platform, um, the XI. This has been five years in the making for, for Intuitive Surgical. And this going down the road is going to hopefully get them into more complex surgeries. It's going to you know spur more demand for their robots. Um, but subsequent to that, they, you know, they pre-announced bad earnings, and then they came out with earnings this morning that were just. I mean, you, there's really no way to slice it, Mark. You had the top line number 20, down 24 percent. These were pretty awful numbers. I'm looking at the procedure growth, uh, which they're, they're they're now calling for growth in between two and eight percent in the number of procedures done with Da Vinci robots. That's down from a forecast of nine to 12 percent. Woof. Um, you couple that with the idea that you know hospital budgets are are really pinched. That's been a big problem lately. There's a little, lot of disagreements about the Affordable Care Act and what that's going to mean for hospital spending. It's not a great environment to be selling two million dollar <laughs> surgical robots right now. And so I look at I look at 2014 right now as almost a lost year for Intuitive Surgical. Mm. I think this is going to be tough. I think they're going to continue to have bad pre announcements. Revenue is not going to be certainly down, um, maybe flat at best. Um, and this is a story about 2015. This is a story about do hospital budgets come back? Do um, hospitals and doctors purchase the new XI system and replace the old systems, uh, old Da Vinci systems? That's certainly a possibility. So I'd say this is a year where you're going to have some t- – if you're an intuitive surgical investor, you're going to have some tough times. But 2015 and beyond could set up very well, and you might get the stock pretty cheap this year at some point, even today. Hmm. Simon, you buying intuitive today? I agree with Matt. I think it's a tough environment right now. Uh, hospital budgets are constrained, and we didn't see a whole lot of overall procedural growth. One, one interesting thing was that procedures were up 24% internationally for this company. I think that's also something to keep an eye on. Hmm. I agree it's going to be a tough year, though, but a long-term story is still in place. Okay. All right. Uh, meanwhile, Polaris Industries reported a strong first quarter. Not as strong as I would have thought, though, for a company that makes snowmobiles. Given this brutal winter, guys, every 10K I've read so far, all the earnings reports, companies are citing the bad winter for bad sales. The company that makes snowmobiles, shouldn't they have the best quarter ever? What's going on with Polaris? Right. So this is one that, that obviously benefits from more snow being on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, revenues are up 19%, earnings up 11%. And they raised their profit forecast for the year, Mark. Right. Always like to see that as investors. You know, They're now expecting $6.30 to six forty-five dollars a share throughout 2014. Mm-hmm. The thing I like about Polaris, though, is this is a company that really gets things done. They execute extremely well. Scott Wine is the CEO that really gets things done as a company. And they've got a great one-two punch going on right now of introducing new products out there, getting innovative new products out there, and then also having the lean manufacturing to control costs Mm. on the production side of things. 
And they've got an internal goal for the company of, of being an $8 billion sales company by 2020 and having $800 million of net income by that point. I think they've got a pretty good track record so far. I'm looking forward to seeing this, this company continue to por- perform. I think it's a great long-term holding. Hmm. It's, it's, yeah, it's an interesting company to watch. There are companies like this. I think about – I'm going to make a connection between Polaris and like Winnebago. And bear with me here. I mean the idea that you know, Americans, when, you know, when the economy is bad – Obviously, you start you stop spending on big ticket items. Um, first, to, first to go usually are things like you know snowmobiles and off terrain vehicles or uh, or RVs. You know, mm-hmm. right? Because obviously they're big gas guzzlers. And by the way, I don't need that to go to work. Uh, so w- when you watch something like Polaris, and if it's doing well, I would say that's a very good sign for the economy. That means consumers n- not only is the economy pretty good, but consumers actually have excess cap- you know um, a capital to to use to consume with, and so. Um, one to watch, and I am you know I was surprised. I thought the numbers would be a little bit better, but they you know nineteen percent revenue that's still pretty good. Um, and to me, it's, it's it, again shows a trend of an improving economy. All right, not too shabby. Things also look pretty good at Yum Brands this quarter, as the company beat expectations for earnings, but missed a bit on the top line. But guys, that's a bit deceiving given the tough year the company just wrapped up. What are your thoughts on Yum? Yeah, Mark, this is the one, this is one where comps are your friend <laughs> because if you look, you know, so say for example, China, which is Yum Brands' biggest market by far. You know the same. The sales there were up nine percent. Mm-hmm. But if you go back a year ago, I mean, they were looking at. I mean, this is when you know the height of the avian flu crisis. Um, people just weren't interested in buying chicken mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, you know, their same their same restaurant sales in China last year fell twenty percent, and there was a twenty four percent drop in KFC um, and a two percent decline in Pizza Hut. So. They were going to bound to have a good quarter this year. I mean, unless they really <laughs> get worse. Up. Yeah. But you know what? You have to look at it and say. And I think the stock is actually selling off a little bit. It was up earlier, and that's because you know you would expect the numbers to actually be better. They they really haven't clawed back at all hmm. any a lot of the sales that they lost last year. So the question's still out here. You know, is this again? Is this just a post-crisis story that's a turnaround? That hey, they just got time. Time will tell whether or not people come back and chicken again? Mm-hmm. Uh, or is this, you know, hey, is there, are there execution problems here? I would expect, I would have expected a bigger bounce back. And we didn't see that. So that tells me that, you know, operationally, maybe Young Brands isn't as sound or their strategy in China isn't as sound as it might have been uh, in the past. So we'll have to see. But you're right. I mean, we, we, t- we joke a lot about JCPenney, for example. You know, this is one of those, if you go back a year ago or gosh, two years now, where JCPenney just has a horrible comp sales, mm-hmm. right? And so they really don't have to do anything. They, they can just basically just open the doors in their store, and they should have positive sales uh, growth you know, for this year. And that's the same with young brands. Look, their year-over-year comps are going to look good. But I would suggest you know, the fact that they're not better than what we've seen uh, is a little bit of a concern. Okay. But China. China's always the focus for young brands. In fact, sure. you, you said it yourself. For the last year, it's been nothing but China for young brands. Like you said, sales are up there. Not as much as we'd like to be. Do you think the strength continues in China, and this is just the beginning of a ramp, ramping up? Or is this really all they got left in China? Well, no. I mean, the exciting thing, of course, with, with China is that it's just such a vast market. Right. There's, I mean, even Young Brands, which has thousands of restaurants already, still very underpenetrated in a lot of cities. Um, same with Starbucks. You know, So this will, China will still be of a strong market. And as long as Young Brands, as long as the brand the t- speaking of Taco Bell, KFC, mm-hmm. uh, Pizza Hut, as long as those brands are, are, are well-run and strong, they should continue to grow very nicely in China. But what, what you have to start questioning is, what did they do some damage to their brand after the crisis of a year ago? Um, and has that kind of hurt them maybe not just on a cyclical basis, but maybe on a secular basis, and that their growth is not going to be as good going forward? 
at the same time, China's just fast. And, if, and you know, the, the, we've seen that the trend for developing countries, the trend towards fast food um, is very, very strong. And it's, it's so uh, that we should continue to see that play out. We'll okay. All right. Last but certainly not least, let's chat about a Simon Erickson favorite, Plug Power. Simon, why do you hate Plug Power? <laughs> well, Mark, let me continue my rant on Plug Power. <laughs> Please do. This. Um, the news today was that they're going to have another secondary offering. They're going to issue another 15 million shares. To put that into perspective a little bit, Plug Power had about 76 million shares at the end of last year. So this is a substantial equity raise. Um, this company gets a lot of attention, but I don't consider it to be a very foolish investment. They are producing fuel cell packs, uh, largely used for forklifts and other you know, manufacturing or warehousing equipment. But they've gotten some really big names on board in the last couple of months, and that's attracted a lot of attention. That's brought uh, a, a huge increase to the stock price. Mm. Mark and I, we talked about this a couple months ago when it was hovering at about $10 a share, selling for pennies on the dollar about a year ago. Right. But we shouldn't be too surprised, I think, by this by this follow-on offering here. We've seen the share the share count triple in the last three years. So this is just another another way to tap the capital markets and say, hey, we need some more money. This is a good time to do it. Mm-hmm. But two other things about this company that I, that I think investors should keep an eye on: one, the CEO owns a very very low percentage of the shares outstanding right now, less than one percent for the CEO at the top. Um, but he's got a, a huge option equity award if he hits a certain stock price. I'm not sure that's properly aligned with the operations of the company. Oh. <laughs> Old man Argus singer doesn't oh. think so. Well, you know, in my day, we never did. You know, we never did that kind of stuff. Maddie gets worse. There's a negative margin for uh, for for plug power. I'm not talking about net margin. I'm talking about operating margin. I'm talking about a negative gross margin right now. Ooh. For every one of these that they sell, they're actually losing money right now. Now, rather than just shut the company down, which would make sense, they are expecting to scale oh, that with time. Uh, but there's a lot of expectation baked into that. Um, I don't like to play that game. I just don't see it as a long-term story, hmm. even though it's gotten a lot of attention from the media. Yeah, we we just you got to be careful with these ones. This is this is. I don't know the company very well, um, but what I've seen, it, it looks very much like a hype job to me. When I hear that the CEO is going to be compensated based on the stock price, right there, that's a, that's a humongous red flag. And um, we joke all the time. It's like you know, if we if we had an IPO tomorrow of a social media electric vehicle company. <laughs> You know, we might get some bidders in that. You know, it'd probably be a penny stock after a while, but we might get some bidders because it's just the, the fuel cell idea with vehicles and stuff. It's just a, it's a hot idea right now, and I think a lot of investors are getting fooled, lowercase f, into into investing in companies like that. Um, and at the same time, hey, I agree with Simon. They're smart to raise equity because the stock price is up. What what is it? Ten x maybe over the last six months to a year. So smart to raise capital when your stock is at a lofty price when it's probably not worth that much. So. Um, yeah, what can I say? I mean, Plug's, Plug's got some, a few smart things going for him, but not much after that. They unplugged today, though. A little bit. <laughs> oh, with the punnery. Great way to wrap up your first show. Matty Argusinger, Simon Erickson. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having Mark. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by the incredibly handsome Dan Boyd. I'm Mark Reith. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Someone punch me in the face!